Episode 357, What If Zombies. What If, Season 1, Episode 5. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7, the podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This podcast started with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. way back in the day and is still going now with What If. And so if you're just joining us here for this episode, as we talk about What If, I do want to warn you there might be spoilers for other things we have talked about on this show. Basically, our spoiler policy is if we talked about it on the show, we might talk about it during the show. So... Avengers Endgame might talk about it, but today we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm here alone again. I was here alone for the Doctor Strange episode last episode. I'm here alone again, sitting in my headquarters and outside I can hear the pounding on the wall of of the zombie hordes because this episode of What If was a horror comedy. In fact, uh, I like to do a kind of not a snarky renaming necessarily, but sometimes a snarky. And and for this one, it's it's what if the MCU was a horror comedy universe, the uh, Marvel horror comedy universe, the MHCU. And so for this episode, I'm going to give you the steps that you need, the rules that you need to create a zombie apocalypse in your franchise. And the franchise, of course, that we're using to create these steps, these rules, is the MCU. The MCU, the Avengers, the multiverse, the world's mightiest heroes, and now the zombie apocalypse. The MCU is home to some of modern pop culture's greatest mythologies. Now, it's not necessarily greatest mythology of all time or of all culture, but of modern pop culture, yeah, it, it certainly is. Since it's modern pop culture's greatest mythology, or one of them, it also means there's some great storytelling going on. But if you want to introduce something to your franchise, something fresh and new, you may want to consider introducing into your franchise something that's foul and rotting. And that's zombies. So here are the rules for turning your franchise into a zombie apocalypse. Step number one, plot. You need to have a good story. You need a problem and you need an objective. You need conflict. And usually your conflict is what is in between the you and the objective. And that's usually the problem. I've described this to my English class before, and I, I know I've complained about this on this podcast, uh, where uh, in Amazing Spider-Man 2, it ends with uh, the lady, the teacher saying, 
you know, there's only one story in in the world, and then she proceeds to to say something that has nothing to do with anything. But for me, there's one story in the world, and that is somebody wants something, and something got in the way. That's 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 the basic outline for most stories. I shouldn't say all. There are probably some stories where that doesn't happen, but I think you can twist any story to fit what I just said. Yes, I said you can twist it, so maybe you have to, you know. And anyway, let's get into it with here, with this. You need a problem, you need an objective, and the problem, a quantum realm virus turns the world into a zombie apocalypse. How about that? And and what could your objective be? Well, the objective could be survive and maybe unravel the mystery behind the apocalypse, whether that's just finding out where it came from or finding out how to get rid of it. That's that that's a good objective. You, know, you don't have to do that. In fact, uh, most zombie stories, the objective is mainly survival and escape. And uh, sometimes in a zombie story, there's the option to find a cure or stop things in other ways, but but not, not, not usually. Zombie apocalypses tend to be about temporary successes. They tend to be about the inevitability of death and the futility of life. Zombie apocalypses, when done well, present these kind of microcosms of life. They are extreme compressed versions of society. And they they portray people who deal with life in their various different ways, with their various different, different worldviews and their different personalities. And in some cases, it might be that they're you know, there's some sort of something wrong with, with somebody and, and that causes an issue. Maybe, I don't know, some sort of cognitive issue that's, that's created by relationship, by love, maybe. But anyway, these are compressed versions of society. And in the end, uh, the walking dead are, are not the zombies. The walking dead are the living humans who are just walking through life until they die. Or if you want to take a more biblical stance on things <laughs> from Ecclesiastes, all share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. And zombie apocalypse stories, they just tend to be, in my opinion, pretty nihilistic views of life. But at the same time, they are also roller coasters. So whether or not you agree with the worldview being presented on the screen, you might think that there is more hope in life. But people who do believe that there's hope in life and there's more to life than just being a member of The Walking Dead also will enjoy these these stories because they're roller coasters. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, you could say yeah, there's ups and downs and there's excitement and all that kind of thing. But horror movies in general, horror stories in general, going back to just telling the scary story around the campfire, the scary story is a safe way for us to face things and experience things like death. Well, why? So the reason I, I compare it to a roller coaster is that you have the the safety harness on you when you're going up and down and you're doing these falls that would result in death if you were just falling and it's a free fall 
But because you are in this safe contraption, at least it's supposed to be safe, you do not die. You live. There's a thrill as you are facing what could have been a mortal injury landing on the ground. You know, I'm, I'm not scared of falling. I'm scared of landing, you know, that kind of thing. There's a thrill, though, as we watch a horror movie and we, we watch this thing and we, we squirm and we jump and we maybe cover our eyes or, you know, maybe we grab a hand of that special someone next to us. Uh, but in the end, we survive because we're watching a character. We're watching the character go through the motions, going through the motions of, I don't know, for example, just randomly pulling one out of nowhere, finding themselves surrounded by undead hordes and then fighting through the hordes to you know survive and then learning that there is a safe place out there. So now the stakes have risen and, and do you leave the safety that you have now which isn't perfect, but it's, it's safe. You know, there's, there's this calm where you can get away and, and, and you're in hiding, but do you do, do you go out? Do you risk the unknown because there might be a better place out there, a safer place maybe with more survivors? I don't know. So just for example, the character might find themselves fighting through more hordes of zombies and, and they're, they're undead. So there's no guilt in killing them or in us watching them hack their way through these undead horrors. And then on arriving at the place of safety, they find that there is something even worse going on, something worse caused by the situation of the zombies, but not actually caused by a zombie, you know? So that's you know just a, just a random story idea that I just pulled out of nowhere that could be used in a franchise like, like the MCU. But anyway, you know, getting into that safe place that I was talking about earlier, you get to play with the idea that the real monster is us. See, one of the things that, that has to be confronted as you are creating a zombie story is that zombies are basically nature. They are a natural problem. Surviving zombies is the same as surviving an earthquake or surviving uh, a volcano or surviving a stampeding herd of wildebeests or something. I don't know. But uh, zombie apocalypses, zombie antagonists can only take you so far in the different man versus scenarios that are found in fiction that bring conflict where you have na uh, man versus nature. That's the first and primary conflict that you have in a zombie apocalypse is man, the human beings who are involved in the story facing off against a natural disaster. And that that's good and, and it can be good enough, but there are other man versus scenarios that you can bring into this conflict. You have man versus nature. Like I said, man versus man, man versus self, man versus God, man versus fate, man versus society. These are just a few of the different conflicts you can bring into this story. And in your zombie apocalypse, these conflicts can be a small version 
a small allegorical or metaphorical version of the larger conflict, like the man versus society that's found in, you know, in just in life, you know, you have this society is huge. You break it down into something like a zombie apocalypse or something like the stand or something like, well, the walking dead is another zombie apocalypse. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head right now, but you have small groups of survivors who are trying to survive the apocalypse and, and suddenly your larger society becomes this smaller, more manageable group, uh, a cast of characters. But it can also take some of these conflicts and, and pump them up and, and make them bigger because this is an extreme situation. So man versus self or man versus play, uh, fate or man, uh, well, man versus man can be brought to the forefront of the plot that you have going on here. Like I said, though, zombie antagonists, they are natural. They have no choices. They follow the laws of nature. Now, some of these laws are just laws of nature, like gravity. Some of these laws are made up laws of zombies, but, but they're laws nonetheless. And it's the human protagonists and the human antagonists that make things a little more interesting than just running away from a zombie horde. I mean, you can run away from lots of problems that you like an avalanche, you know, that's, that's dramatic running away from an avalanche, but there's not any conflict between two parties there. It's just, here's something that's happening naturally and you are trying to get away from it or, you know, running away from the herd of wildebeests or, or whatever it might be. So these human antagonists, these conflicts, these are what make things interesting. Like if you had the conflict uh, of a human who has a man versus self conflict where his big, green, mean alter ego won't come out. Only to come out when the plot demands it to be necessary because it's the most dramatic point for it to happen. Which still, even in this story, I, I feel like it just doesn't make sense. That whole, the big guy won't come out thing is one of the things that fell flat for me in Infinity War. Uh, even though I love Infinity War and that is, you know, still top five. I can't remember where exactly on my list, but that piece of it just did not. It just wasn't great <laughs> to me anyway. To me, it just wasn't great. Just couldn't wrap my head around it. And here in this, it still feels, I don't know, a little forced, a little off. But that's, you know, you throw that conflict, that man versus self conflict, and then up the ante by throwing that guy into a zombie apocalypse. Well, you've created drama. You've created conflict. Another possible example that I'm just pulling out of nowhere uh, could be, you know, man versus man or at least man versus android antagonist who acts like a human but uh invites characters into a safe place only to reveal that it's it's not it's not a safe place because he's hiding a, a secret and their plan that they had that they wanted to do where they just wanted to come to a safe place and and, and try and figure out what's going on and then when they come to this particular safe place, they find out, wait, there's, there's possibilities for, for cures. Well, what if we could get to, uh, I don't know, uh, just throwing something out in the air, you know, Wakanda, right? You know, they could go there and everything would go so much smoother, except you have this Android who has a secret 
and his secret gets in the way of their plans and it creates conflict that you need for good storytelling. I'm, I, here's another thing that I, I teach and that I believe, and that is that good storytelling, good storytelling is all about what can go wrong next. How is it worse? You want things to get worse and worse for your protagonists until you get to the end. Now, the problem with what I just said is a lot of zombie stories, you get to the end, but it's not really the end. You know, it just means that they survived this particular 90 minutes of storytelling, and now they're going off on the road and heading out into who knows what. How will they survive? What's out there? We don't know. We were saving that for the sequel. Or not. One of the most famous versions of what I'm talking about is The Birds. Alfred Hitchcock has that most famous end shot. Maybe it's not the most famous now because people aren't familiar with it, but it's one of those really old movies, you know, that, uh, that Peter Parker watched in AV club, but that ending where they are getting in the car and they are just driving through birds, birds have taken over the world (laughs) and they're killing people. And now they are driving through birds to where we don't know to what we don't know and it's it's ambiguous and it's it's a good ending okay so sometimes you don't have the resolution that you need but star wars is obviously one of those where the first star wars movie is all about things going wrong it goes wrong it goes wrong it goes wrong and then they finally have that final battle like even as things are going right things are going wrong you know they make it to the the base at yavin and they are able to start preparing to deal with the Death Star, but the Death Star is coming. And so you have tension growing. And, and then finally they, they win and they have the award ceremony. And that movie could have been the end of it. Yes, people, you know, if, if that was the only Star Wars movie that we ever had, then yes, maybe, you know, 40 years later or whatever, People are looking at it and saying, oh, yeah, well, this movie is so great, but uh, they don't really address the fact that, you know, one battle doesn't win a war, you know, and what happens next? You, know, you We have sequels that are, are explaining all of what happens next, but that movie wraps it up with a nice little bow. They win their battle. They destroy the Death Star and it's there's resolution. There's resolution. So anyway. What I'm talking about is the storytelling is asking what can go wrong next. And and good storytelling has, even when the heroes have a victory along the way, that victory pushes them into the next thing where things are going wrong. So, for example, good guys fight their way through hordes of zombies to get to a train that's going to take them to their next spot. That's good. But to get there, the good guys have to suffer casualties. That's bad. And then the train doesn't even take them all the way there. That's worse. They have their victory. They have their moment of rest. And they get attacked along the way. The train stops along the way. And they have to fight through more hordes of zombies to actually get to where they're going. Uh, Then they get to where they're going. They make it to the safe place, which is run by an android that they can trust. And it's in a place where where, where zombies, no no zombie dares to go 
because of, well, we find out what it is maybe, but they are, they don't come in, you know, and it's safe. That's good. But the safe place is not safe because the Android they can trust is hiding a super secret witch zombie and feeding a friend of theirs to it. That's bad. The super witch zombie escapes and causes them to lose more friends as they try to work toward getting to the next safe place where they can possibly work out a zombie cure. That's worse. So step one is you have to have a plot, something that drives the story forward more than just surviving. Now, speaking of rules of nature that I was talking about with the zombies, that's step number two rules. You have to have rules. You need clearly defined rules so that your story is consistent. And so the audience and the characters can figure out what's going on. You don't have to list the rules, but if you do list the rules, you should do so in a way that is irreverent, cute, or both. It's always helpful to have a character who comes into this zombie apocalypse fresh and new because that gives you a ready-made excuse to drop exposition on the audience in a natural way or in a, a more natural way. Because saying, as you know, only headshots kill zombies, that's bad exposition. But you don't know this, so I'm going to tell you, only headshots can kill zombies is is slightly better because it's, it's slightly more natural. You know, telling someone something they don't know is more natural than telling someone something that they do know and probably have experienced and heard over and over again. And this is where it gets better. Once you add in some character-driven humor, the audiences will forgive you completely for making them sit through verbal exposition if you can make them laugh while you're doing it. And it's a risk you have to take. If you want to explain the rules to your audience, because you can't trust them to figure it out as you go along. So the best way to create exposition for the rules, have a character get dropped into the situation. I don't know. You could have a character in a coma for a few weeks uh, while the apocalypse happens. And then they wake up and the apocalypse has been going on for a few weeks. Or, or maybe you could have the character go to space, you know, go to another planet for months and months and months. And then when they return, you just drop them into the middle of things. So they're confused. And, and the audience is also confused. And you create a confusion for the audience that needs to be cleared up. And so you can use that confusion to have someone explain everything in detail, bringing both that character and the audience up to speed with the rules. Now, the issue with zombies is this. Zombies have rules in pop culture. So what you have to do is take those rules and then if you want, you have to tweak them a little bit. For example, if the world that you want to drop your zombie apocalypse into is filled with super-powered individuals, it makes sense to use that to your advantage and up the ante. A super soldier zombie? That's bad. A giant zombie? That's bad. A mini zombie? That's bad. Flying zombie? Marksman zombie? Happy zombie? That's bad. That's bad. And, and, and then that's inconvenient. But you have to have rules. So you set the rule that the zombies of this universe maybe are able to use skills and abilities that they had before. Uh, natural skills, natural abilities, or possibly learned skills and abilities. Just not any decision making that's based on specific memories. So when they're fighting their best friend, what's in the front of their mind? Food, not friend. When they're fighting their best friend, they remember how to throw a shield 
but they don't remember that they are best friends. Or when they see people running away from them that were their good friends and that they actually felt really bad about, you know, bringing the whole situation to being. And as they're watching those friends fly away, food, not friends. So they can activate their growth tech because that skill is triggered in their mind as they see escaping food. So the idea being food is forefront in the zombie's mind with their powers and abilities accessible to that end. Another rule, headshots kill with other wounds, merely slowing them down. So in some cases, like when their limbs are removed, it slows them way down. But the important thing is you have to set the rules and whether it's through showing or through telling, obviously showing is better. And in this situation, the telling was all of the zombie rules that are in your your regular you know zombie pop culture, but the showing was in like well powers you know because you you, you want to reveal things slowly too you don't want to just ex, you know explain everything you want to have some surprises like oh they still have their powers oh they can still use their armor whatever it might be. This is true of any kind of fantastic fiction, by the way. And the MCU, it doesn't always uh, have understandable or known rules for things like, I don't know, magic or whatever it might be. Uh, the other thing to remember, though, is in the horror genre anyway, rules are made to be broken in the sequel. So step number three, cannon fodder. When you're making a story like this, you need to have lots of characters for cannon fodder so you can kill off lots of them. This allows you to have shocking twists and shocking deaths. In a what if situation, you can kill anyone you want to because it's not part of the real canon, the regular canon. In the comics, this was used to great effect. Like the show, these stories were fast and furious. They were quick and they were telling months and months worth of story or retelling months and months worth of story. And they were doing so in just one issue. And so they could use that one issue and they could kill off beloved characters in quick succession for shock value. The audience of a horror movie is just waiting for the people in the movie to die one by one. And so you have the trope of the last girl who's going to be the survivor and you have whole franchises that exist only to put characters on the screen and keep you guessing until they die. And one way to keep them guessing is by introducing a character at the beginning who is the audience's point of reference character and then halfway through kill them off. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought that was the main character, but now they're dead. And the story is actually about these characters who are doing this other thing. One of the best examples of this is alien. Just think of that, that movie, when it came out, it looked like Tom Skerritt was the main character, the main guy. He was likable. He was the leader. He was smart. Okay. So if you watch that movie now, this really old movie, <laughs> if you watch it now, you know, Sigourney Weaver is the main character because she's Sigourney Weaver. But one of the things you might forget when you watch this movie now is that she's Sigourney Weaver because of this movie. When this movie came out, she wasn't Sigourney Weaver. Tom Skerritt was the traditional hero in that movie. And I just realized I happened to pick an example that is from the MCU. Sigourney Weaver is an MCU villain. 
Okay, so moving on. Think of Star Trek First Contact. Now, I'm not just bringing this one up for a Star Trek reference. This is a Star Trek reference that makes a point and has some MCU connections. I'm not breaking any new ground when I say the first contact is basically a zombie movie. It's basically a zombie movie where instead of becoming a flesh-eating zombie, you become a mind-controlled zombie that is trying to turn other people into other mind-controlled zombies. You're just not eating them. You're you're in, infecting them with nano nano bites or nanotech or whatever. But here's the deal with this. None of the main characters can get turned into Borg. Worf, he's not going to turn into a Borg. Data, he's not going to. None of them are going to turn into Borg. And and any kind of tension that you bring in that direction isn't going to be true tension. It's going to be the illusion of tension. So to create real tension, they bring in new characters like Hawk. He's a named character on the bridge, basically a red shirt without the actual red shirt. He's played by Neil McDonough, who also is an MCU person. He played Dum Dum Dugan in Captain America, the first Avenger, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Agent Carter. He gets a name, he gets screen time, and he gets infected. Side note, by the way, this guy also was in one of the greatest TV cop shows of all time, Boomtown. Check it out. I loved it so much, but no one else did. So it was canceled, not after one season, but after one season and three episodes. <laughs> so season two, there were three episodes made. They changed the format, ruined the show. I don't even care that I can't watch those three episodes ever again. But Boomtown is in my DVD collection in a treasured place in my DVD collection, which right now is not so treasured because it's boxes in my closet because I still haven't unpacked them from moving. But that's beside the point. That's a personal problem. That's a me problem. That's not a you problem. So let's talk about Hawk. Like I said, he gets a name, he gets screen time, he gets infected. You kind of care because this is an actual guy that you're actually following. They also bring in Alfre Woodard then. And I think one of the things that works about this is because of what happens to Hawk, that Alfre Woodard's character, she's not main cast, but she could be another victim. As important as she is to the story, she's at risk. And so they create tension in that way. Speaking of, Alfred Woodard also has MCU connections from being in both Luke Cage and Captain America Civil War, two different characters, one universe. Are they related? They could be cousins, identical cousins. There's a reference for you. Side note, both Neil McDonald and Alfred Woodard shared three franchises, the MCU, Star Trek, and Desperate Housewives. And I don't know that last one through any personal experience or anything. Um, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to step number four. Step number four builds on the cannon fodder. Because with the cannon fodder, you had all the deaths and everything. And there's twists and there's turns. And you're like, what? What? That character that is beloved just died? That's that's what happens with a with a known franchise like this or that character that I kind of relate to a little bit because they did something nice to another character 10 minutes ago in this movie that I'm watching for the first time ever. That character died. You know, you need to have connections for these deaths. But uh, this one, step number four, sacrifice. This is the one that takes that cannon fodder one extra step. 
some of these cannon fodder deaths have to be motivated by self-sacrifice. And this shows the people who are watching that the characters that they are watching are noble and good people, or it allows the bad people that we're watching to get a redemption. So your character who say, I don't know, believes that it's all her fault for not thinking about the consequences of looking for her mom and that it was her fault that the virus came back through the quantum realm. Well, she can pay for that mistake by making a noble sacrifice, even though it's clearly not her fault at all, because how in the world would anyone think that maybe my mother, who was lost in a subatomic microverse, would bring back with her an apocalyptic world-destroying zombie virus? They, they wouldn't. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Why is the MCU filled with people who take blame for things that if you think rationally about it for just a moment, they realize they could never have stopped the thing from happening and that they did not cause the thing to happen in the first place. But they're just, they need guilt. They need guilt to create drama, to create that man versus man conflict that's going on in this woman. I digress. <laughs> Sacrifice also allows someone who made a horrible, awful, terrible, no good, very bad mistake, like capturing noble, good people and, and feeding them to your girlfriend. Now, now, now that's something you can take the blame for. Okay. I, I, I get it. She's hungry, but zombies can last a very long time without food. And, and also the, the love of your life, she she's going to hang on maybe because of her powers, be able to hang on even longer for you to find, I don't know, a cure like you found for that guy who's just a head in a jar. I mean, if there was hope for anyone in this situation, visions, hope for Scarlet Witch would be like the the most logical hope of all. They, they keep their powers and so she she can survive longer this does give us a, a kind of a spin on the whole idea of what is grief, if not love persevering. I mean, what is, I don't know, what is grief, if not hope being preserved by feeding body parts to your girlfriend over a long period of time? Uh, I don't know if I want to think about that too much longer, but. Anyway, if you were to say not do this whole big, horrible, or awful, terrible, no good, very bad thing, you know, maybe people would be able to continue to trust you and you wouldn't have to feel obligated to destroy yourself in, in penance. But this does give a nice twist, a nice plot twist that can be that that horrifying moment that you you need to have. You need to have a horrifying moment. In fact, you know, this horrifying moment is even more horrifying because this was a character who is a life affirming character who has proven himself in the past to be worthy to lift Thor's hammer. And, and he hides a, a terrible secret and that that terrible secret is that he's he's feeding the flesh of a friend to his girlfriend out of character Yes, but it's a good twist. You can't you can't deny that. Nobody saw it coming because it's out of character. Now, speaking of twists, step five is you need a big twist ending. You absolutely must have a big twist at the end. Now, you can have small twists along the way, 
but you have to have a big twist at the end. Here is the deal, though. All those small twists along the way, technically speaking, you need to follow the rules that you've set and you need to follow the characters that you've created. So, you know, when you have a character act out of character, you need to figure out a way to make sure that that it, as out of character as it might be, there's reason behind being out of character, like love, right? Love can cause someone to act out of character. But your big twist, your end twist, you can twist the rules as well. It's not just a plot twist. You can do a rule twist. Now, you can't break them yet. You can't break the rules until you get to the sequel. But you can twist them. And you can do something that that feels like it can fit, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense. For example... If your story relies on the characters arriving at a safe place and when they get to the safe place, plot twist, it's not actually safe. And not only that, one of the most powerful characters in the franchise universe is there, but he's a zombie now too. Bigger plot twist. How, how did he become a zombie? How did he get bit? How did he even let himself get bit when he's got the gauntlet that makes him so powerful? How is all of his army completely infected? You know, how did it all happen? Well, since you only have a minute where you're showing that big twist, then you're cutting, cutting to the credits. You don't have to explain it. You get a pass because there's no time. You can just show the big, crazy, big thing and then let the shock and awe settle in as credits roll. And as credits roll, that's where people are like, what? What happened? I don't understand. How could this happen? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Credits are rolling. You've taken them on their journey. You're done. You don't have to explain a thing. That's for the people who do the sequel. They'll take care of that. Now, it might be you, might be someone else. Doesn't matter. They'll take care of that. They'll deal with the details. Was it because the Wakandans were infected? And and then when when there was a battle that didn't necessarily need to happen because... They're not making a last stand in, in this in the same way that it would have happened in the movie. Don't think about that too much. Don't think about that too much. You don't have to think about it too much because the credits are going to roll in mere seconds. You don't have to worry about it. Does it make a big splash? Does it create shock and awe? Yes. Run with it. Does it create a vague ending? Well, unlike typical storytelling, like I said, in this kind of story, you can have that vague ending that says, I don't know what's going to happen next, but it's okay. Use your imagination. And, and are, are you someone who has a, a hopeful imagination? Are you someone who has a, a nihilistic imagination? They'll, they'll figure it out. All right. Step six, humor. So any modern horror movie has two choices. Take yourself seriously or make with the jokey jokes. A horror movie that takes itself seriously like alien or us uh, runs the risk of becoming a joke. And I chose those two because those were the first good examples that came to mind that have humor in them, but the humor is part of the realism. Although the less I say about like the actual act three of us, the better because that's where it kind of falls apart. But that's, that's just me. That's just me. Both these examples have humor but they are about the horror and they both use horror to disrupt normal people's lives. And they both ask us to join in the fear. 
Uh, Night of the Living Dead is a zombie example, actually, of this. These these movies are not jokes. But then you have something like Plan 9 from Outer Space, which I think I might have thought of the uh, Night of the Living Dead because they kind of go hand in hand. They're both in public domain, black and white, early zombie stories. <laughs> uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space is earnest, but it becomes a joke. There are so many low-budget horror movies that fall into that trap where the filmmakers just cannot capture realism of life. So when the realism is disrupted by horror, it doesn't matter, and you end up laughing at both. It becomes a joke because it's so bad it's good, like Plan 9 from Outer Space, or it falls flat because it's so bad it's bad, like so many low-budget movies that you can find on Amazon Prime that have a great-looking poster but then you click on it and you're like, whoops, shouldn't have clicked on that because I just lost 10 minutes of my life. Good thing I stopped it now so I don't lose 90 minutes of my life. Uh, this, this is true for every genre, by the way, that if you don't have, if you don't have skill behind the camera, then it, it's, gonna, it's not going to work. So the other option, take yourself seriously or try to be cool and above the genre make fun of the genre right or or make fun of your subgenre you know in, in this case where you might be making fun of zombies right uh turn it into a comedy so you you turn it into a comedy by making fun of the thing even as you are making the thing and then you get the best of both worlds and if you're making the thing and the thing doesn't work it's okay because you're also laughing at the thing and no one notices and no one cares because they're laughing they're laughing you're trying to have the shocks and scares but you're if you keep the audience laughing and the other stuff doesn't hit at least the jokes do and unfortunately to me that's the mcu's biggest drawback in a lot of ways is that they always are trying to make with the jokey jokes in so many MCU outings, the emotional moments are punctuated and then deflated by a joke. Uh, I think I once compared Joss Whedon to a junior high boy who makes inappropriate jokes at inappropriate times. You can't let a genuine moment pass without metaphorically passing the gas. Now, don't get me wrong, he's good at what he does, and when he does it well, we get moments like the conversation at the end of Age of Ultron. It's great. It's great. It's one of the best moments in the MCU for me. Vision has some of the best moments of the MCU for such a minor character. When you compare him to all the other characters, he gets some of the best moments, and, and a lot of it comes down to this, this point here at the end of Age of Ultron. So here, in the case of making a zombie apocalypse in your franchise, well, you have a, a few advantages. And one is that you have characters that we all know and love. So the humor can work well because, well, we understand that reference. Unfortunately, it may not sit well if you're setting up situations where friends are watching friends die or in some case friends are killing friends or at least killing acquaintances and, and then they punctuate it with a quip 
you know, like I'd say, let's let the emotional moments happen and connect the emotional moments with your audience. But if you only have 30 minutes, then maybe I guess you need to use the cheap jokes to connect with your audience quicker and, and get away from what might be the, uh, a genuine emotional response. You know, it, it just, yeah, I used to have a band and our motto was, we may not be good, but we're funny. And it was true. We actually were funny. People came to our shows because we did joke songs, not parody songs, not Weird Al type songs. We did joke songs. And then every once in a while we do a real song. And and people liked that too because it was genuine and it was emotional. It may not be good, but it was genuine, you know? And it helped that our, our lead guitarist was a virtuoso. <laughs> he was amazing. The, honestly, the best guitarist I've ever seen live in in my life he was wonderful the point being you don't want to use the humor as a crutch and you don't want to run the danger of alienating your audience because the humor isn't landing so you know you don't want to punctuate a person killing someone that he's worked with and laughed with and argued with by saying someone says i'm sorry you had to kill your friend which is an emotional moment but then you punctuate it with the joke he wasn't my friend you know it it may not work it may not work that's all i'm saying but then you have the self-referential humor like if someone were to say hey haven't you ever seen a horror movie before which happens all the time ever since scream but if you have a character who references movies already that's what he does it's built in then, then run with it. And I guess you can also create an emotional connection when you have a character who's making jokes that maybe are inappropriate for the time, but then he also explains why, why he does so. Like, he, he may have gotten a, a piece of advice from uh, an aunt or an uncle. You know, this is a guy whose uncle might have said, with great power comes great responsibility. But this is also a guy whose aunt has said, if we don't keep smiling when when the others are gone then we might as well just be gone too so there's there's some life advice right there but it also explains why are the jokes being made at inappropriate times so maybe maybe it works maybe it could work i don't know at any rate those are my steps for how to introduce a zombie apocalypse to your pre-existing cinematic universe or franchise after the credits i do have some listener feedback emails and messages that i will be diving into but for now this is what you need to do if you want to introduce a zombie apocalypse to your franchise it can be a risky prospect you could fail spectacularly anyone trying this anyone could fail unless of course, they knew the rules. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard from us, now we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voicemail by calling one seven seven five five level 7 That's one seven seven five 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 three eight three five seven, Or send us an email to feedback at welcometolevel7.com just don't forget, the 7 is spelled out. 
You can also go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback and leave us a message there or join us on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7. The seven is spelled out. And don't forget, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash welcometolevel7. The seven is spelled out and become a Patreon supporter there. Once again, thanks so much for listening and Godspeed. Okay, quickly, I do want to get into some feedback that we got uh, from some of our listeners. These are some of them are from Facebook, some of them are from our email, and some of them are from our Patreon. And so uh, on Facebook, we had uh, Agent Sioris, who said, this was well done. Great, considering you were by yourself, Ben. Also, Agent Marianne said, great take on the Groundhog Day episode, one of the best podcasts I've learned in a long time. And then finally, Agent Andrew, who says, fun indeed. Coincidentally... I had listened to your Strangers and Aliens Edge of Tomorrow episode just a week or two ago. And on starting up this episode, I found myself thinking, hey, Ben's doing the time warp again. And so I was like, what? And I went back and listened to that Edge of Tomorrow episode from, I think, seven years ago. And yes, I did uh, copy the Groundhog Day format of that movie as I did... (laughs) In this episode or the last episode of Welcome to Level 7, um, there's a word for what might have just happened, and that is cryptomnesia, which is something that I recently heard about where it was actually about the comedy feud between Dane Cook and Louis C.K. Louis C.K. was accusing Dane Cook of stealing some of his jokes. And if you listen to the, I listened to one example of the joke in the, the Cryptonesia video, and uh, yeah, it's it's close. It's close. Uh, Louis C.K. Uh, had had Dane Cook come on and said, I, I think you didn't realize you'd heard the jokes, but uh, but I think you did hear the jokes, forgot about them and wrote them You know, later on, wrote it as if it was yours, as if it was new. Fortunately, here I'm stealing from myself. I forgot that I did it. <laughs> And uh, I probably would have still done it, but I might have actually listened to that episode of Strangers and Aliens about Edge of Tomorrow and and maybe found a way to do it better because I think past Ben did it better. But future Ben, who is now past Ben, so cur- close to current past Ben, uh, was actually following a plot structure as well, trying to you know f- show the fall of man, so to speak. But yeah. Another way, uh, another place where that happened, by the way, is back at Strangers and Aliens. We recently did an episode about Paralandra, which is the second book in C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. Last year, we did the first book in C.S. Lewis's space trilogy called Out of the Silent Planet. I wanted to find that episode number before we recorded our Paralandra episode. So I went to the website for Strangers and Aliens. I typed in Out of the Silent Planet, and it brought up two episodes about Out of the Silent Planet, one that we did last year and one that we did nine years ago. Apparently, we started that series about Out of the Silent Planet or about uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy and forgot that we had already done an episode about it. Uh, But that's what happens when you are recording episodes almost weekly, at least monthly, uh, for almost 10 years. So... 
Anyway, I have two messages from our Facebook uh, page. One is from Agent Ke- uh, Kevin. One is from Agent Jared. And both of them uh, sent us messages because of the Shang-Chi giveaway that we're doing that we're not doing yet because I don't want to do the giveaway until S- Agent Stewart is able to get on here because it was his idea. He's the one who who got the thing that we're giving away, the Shang-Chi figure. And so Agent Kevin wrote in to say, hi, I'd like to enter the competition for the Shang-Chi giveaway, although I'm not in the UK, if that if that counts. Or although I'm in the UK, if that counts. He says, here's my feedback. At the end of the film, Wong asks Shang-Chi and Katie to go with him. He specifically says to Katie, you two, to say she is needed. When they meet with Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner and discuss the Ten Rings, they are welcomed to the team. Does this mean that they are both now part of the Avengers? Much as I love Aquafina's character of Katie and that she was given plenty to do rather than just be the comedy sidekick. With no powers and only just learned how to shoot arrows, what does she bring to the team considering we are already getting a new Hawkeye in Kate Bishop? And Hawkeye was already considered the weakest Avenger. On his own, Shang-Chi is an impressive fighter like Black Widow, plus he also has the power of the Ten Rings. So why invite Katie? Just because she's his friend? She doesn't know any more about the rings than Shang-Chi does. Jai Ling also helped out and wasn't invited, yet she's also got mad fighting skills and lots of resources. Maybe Katie will drive them all around in some new Stark Tech Avengers mobile. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I do find that interesting. I, I'm glad that we're going to have Katie stick around, but at the same time, what does she bring to the team? I don't know, but I think we're going to find out. Uh, in her favor, she did take part in a, an Avengers level battle. Now, it's not you know, a battle of New York level battle, but it was an Avengers level threat that was happening. So she did help out with that. And we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, by the way, to get entered into the giveaway, you just need to have liked or like our Facebook page and, and send us a message saying that you'd like to be in the competition. You'd like to be in the drawing. So there is still time. Send us a message about what you thought about Shang-Chi or about any of this other stuff that's going on here. Uh, you can still get in the drawing. Uh, then agent Jared said, hello, I would love to be entered into your drawing. First of all, I've never messaged you before. I would have been listening to your podcast for the past few years. This is my favorite MCU podcast, and I appreciate the entertaining and fun recaps of the shows and movies. Also, I work for a nonprofit college Christian ministry, so I appreciate some of the face perspectives as well. Shang-Chi was a breath of fresh air and my favorite MCU project that has come out since Endgame. Although, what if and WandaVision are close? I understand why Trevor isn't everyone's favorite part of the movie, but I was delightfully surprised to see him and thought they tied him well enough into the story. Another aspect I loved was the creatures and mystical aspects that they were able to tie in from the Chinese culture. It's weird that dragons are part of the MCU now, and I love it. Thanks again for all you do. And that's from Jared. And then there is a message from Agent Jeff, and Agent Jeff says, Love Chang-Chi. The fight scenes were incredible. I read that fight coordinator Andy Chang was a member of Jackie Chan's stunt team. You can see Jackie Chan's influences in the bus fight, the twisting on and off of his jacket, the acrobatics, the quick punches, the use of the laptop. I wonder if Shang's relationship with the rings will have a similar trajectory as Thor and his hammer. Will Shang lose the rings, then realize he doesn't need them to wield his energy? Great question. I think no, though. I think this is one where the rings are needed for, for what he's got going on. Because we saw it happening, although it was father to son. So maybe it is something that uh, Ling could find out that she doesn't need the rings, but she could harness that power too. That might be interesting. Finally, we have a message from Agent 084, who was writing in about the Doctor Strange episode of What If? And he says, such amazing editing. For once, I'm glad not to get the raw audio. Cheers. 
And what's he talking about, about the raw audio? Well, that is that if you are a Patreon patron, you get to listen to Welcome to Level 7 episodes early, and you also get raw audio unedited, which means it includes a lot of the small talk before and after the episodes that we have, and it also includes small talk during trains, (laughs) although... um, Sometimes, you know, sometimes you might want the edited episode. Let's just put it that way. But if you do like what you hear from Welcome to Level 7, and if you do enjoy listening to the podcast, we make access to anyone who joins at any level. If you join at any level, whether it's a dollar a month or $7 a month, you get access to that extra stuff. And we've been putting out these these early bonus episodes and it's something that we intend to continue doing at some point we also intend to let people listen live and be a part of things in that way as we figure out the tech but for now that's this episode i want to thank everyone who wrote in i want to thank everyone who is a supporter whether you're a supporter because you listen or a supporter because you tell people about it or a supporter because you are a part of our patreon page which you just look up welcome level seven patreon you got it or you can, you know, go to patreon.com slash welcome to level seven. Just go there directly. But no matter how you are supporting us, we we appreciate you. We have so much fun doing this podcast. So I hope you have a great day, great night, great afternoon, wherever you are, whenever you are. I, I hope things are going well for you. And I just want to wish you Godspeed.